Would you pray with me? Lord, I do ask that you would increase and I would decrease. That you would increase in this season as we await your coming. And that we would decrease. Would you please show us those ways in which you need to increase in our lives and we need to decrease. Please bless us as we hear your word and as we await and look toward your coming. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I do want to reflect with you this morning on this short phrase from John the Baptist. He must increase. I must decrease. It doesn't sound like a typical Advent theme, but I hope to show you this morning that it very much is. It is a theme that is fitting for the season as we look toward the Lord's coming in just a little over a week. The first thing I want to do, though, is ask you a question to set us up for this. Have you ever wanted something that someone else has? There is only one right answer. <laughs> this starts when you're very young, doesn't it? And, and the marketers are, man, they're working on this, this weakness in us all season long. They're showing us beautiful people using things, driving new cars to say, you need this. When we're young, we, open, we watch someone else open a present and we think, I need that. I want that. I want what he has or what she has. But as we grow up, this thing gets, can get larger in us to the point that we can look on someone else's life and say, I want that life. I want that person's spouse. I want that person's marriage. I want that person's children. I want that life. The church from very early on recognized that there were certain sins that it wasn't that they were necessarily more important. It was that these sins led to other sins that could become very grave sins. And one of these particular sins the church identified was the sin of envy. The sin of wanting what others have. Of wanting something that one does not have. And the church recognized that the sin of envy can quickly grow, metastasize, and it become, can become deathly to us. Actually, the church fathers said that the problem with the sin of envy is it leads to hatred of others. Because you look on what others have, you want it so badly, and then you begin to hate them because they have it and you don't. So in our gospel passage, people go to John the Baptist and they use this issue of envy that we know is such a, a deep-seated thing in human nature, in broken human nature. 
You see, John has been preparing the way for Jesus. He has been announcing that Jesus is coming. John, in a sense, has been setting up business for Jesus so that Jesus can succeed. But do you know what's happened? Jesus' business has started succeeding and John's has started failing. It says that all Israel is now going out to Jesus and to his disciples to be baptized instead of John. And so someone comes to John and they assume you must be upset. Look, your business is failing. Your ministry is failing and his is succeeding. And they're asking John, how do you feel about this? Where are you? Where are you, John? And John's answer is something that all of us need to learn from. They came to John. This is John's gospel, chapter 3, verse 26. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing and all are going to him. By the way, the next chapter is going to say that Jesus was not baptizing, but his disciples were. It's really confusing. I don't have an answer for you about why he says it this way here. Just live with that. It's okay. It's okay. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. I want you to sit with that. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. This is the way it is in your life. You cannot receive anything unless it is given to you from God. Your life, no no matter how unhappy or happy with it you are, is in some sense a life that you have received, not that you have earned. A life that you are to receive. John goes on, you yourselves bear me witness that I said I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. Now in Israel's history, Israel, God described Israel as his bride. And so John is saying now Israel is going all, they're all going out to Jesus. Jesus is the bridegroom. He is receiving his bride, the people of Israel, the people of God who are going out to him. They are to be his bride, Yahweh's bride. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Now, John is using this metaphor of a wedding. Picture a wedding scene. You have the groom standing there with his bride. In this case, that is Jesus and the church, or the people of God, Israel. John is the main groomsman, and he's standing there beside the groom. And he's basically saying, do you think I should step in? (laughs) Do you think that I should step in and take the bride? Can you imagine that happening at a wedding? It's chaos. It's the worst thing that could ever happen at a wedding if the groomsman, the groom's best man, steps in and tries to take the bride for himself. And John says, no, 
I rejoice greatly at the bridegroom's voice. The jo- my joy is now complete. And the final phrase, he must increase, but I must decrease. I love the way that another version translates it. It's the New English translation. It says, he must become more important. I must become less important. I want to talk to you for a few minutes about that phrase. First of all, the word must in that phrase. Does the word must really mean must? Or could it mean something more like should? Like, he should increase and I should decrease. He should become more important and I should become less important. Or does it mean must? (laughs) By necessity, he must become more important and I must become less important. I want to offer to you (laughs) that the word must means must. It's not simply a should. It would be good for you if he would increase in your life and and you would decrease. That's true. It would be good for all of us, I would suggest, that if he would increase in your life and you would decrease. But more importantly, by nature of who he is, He must increase and you must decrease. Let me tell you what I mean. For for one thing, Jesus comes as the king of all creation. He comes as the one who has made all things. When the king arrives in town, who else can claim the spotlight? Can anyone else claim the spotlight when the king comes into town? Think about one of the royal weddings or something like this. And if someone tried to interrupt the royal wedding. That that can't happen. That person would be put down immediately, right? And this is the way it is when God comes to his creation. The creation that he made, that he loved, that, that broke away from him. But he has come to restore. When he comes onto the scene, every other eye must decrease. He must receive all the attention and the glory. So in one sense, this he he must increase and I must decrease is, is a statement of reality. When God comes on the scene of his creation, he must receive the spotlight. Every eye will turn toward him. And all of us must submit and bow a knee. So John, in one sense, is simply making a statement of reality. He must increase. The world belongs to him. I must decrease. I'm a servant. I'm not a master. But there's another side to this must. Jesus has taught in this way in many occasions. He'll teach on it in John later on as well. Jesus will say things like, How can a person gain the whole world 
and forfeit his own soul. He will say things like, you can gain the whole world. You can gain your whole life in your eyes in the world. But if you gain the whole world here, you will lose your life for eternity. And he will also say that if you hate your life in this world, you will gain it for eternity. You see what he, he's saying in those passages is that if we want to actually gain the life that we long for, we have to lose a sense of our life now. We have to say no to ourselves now so that we can receive the life that we truly long for and desire. Let me try to illustrate this in some way. Think about this phrase in a backward sense. What if we said, uh, all of us said, I, I want to increase in the world. <laughs> what if the world went my way in every situation? Some of you would say that would be good in some places, right? But would that be good in every case? It would not, would it? You see, if we increase in the world and our ways increase in the world, while it might mean some good things, it also means that all of our pet sins will be multiplied across the world. Our greed, our selfishness, our self, the places where we doubt ourselves and hate ourselves, struggle with ourselves, all those things will just be multiplied across the world. Um, there, there are illustrations of this where we've seen this happen. What if you were to think of the 2008 economic collapse as a version of us getting our way in the world? Think about this. Selfishness and greed were multiplied and multiplied and multiplied until it broke. And we were crushed by it. People were crushed by it. And this is the kind of thing that will happen over and over and over again if we increase. And so what John is saying is that he must increase and we must dis decrease so that goodness will be built up in the world. So that love will be built up in the world. So that mercy will be built up in the world. He must increase and our ways must decrease. Again, it's a statement of fact in some ways, of reality. The only way for the world to become what it is meant to be is if he increases and we decrease. The only way for our envy to be crushed is if he increases and we decrease. Now here's the problem that I find as I wrestle with this statement that John's made here. When I think of myself decreasing, I don't like the idea of it. I think of, have you guys heard of the movie Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? I think of that movie. If you haven't seen it, the title is self-explanatory. This 
father who is not quite right in some ways, he, he shrinks the children in one of his scientific experiments. And when I think of myself decreasing, in some ways that's what I imagine. It must mean that I become a diminished and small version of myself. It must mean that my voice will no longer matter in the world. It must mean that I don't matter. When you think of yourself decreasing, what does that mean to you? The beautiful thing in God's economy is that the way that I naturally think about that is completely wrong. And it is a lie. You see, the gospel says that when we decrease and we allow God to increase in us, instead of losing our life and becoming a small version of ourselves, we actually gain our life. We gain the life that we long for. The passage that Ernie read for us in Isaiah 65, God says, and be, says Behold, I make all things new. And this is what John is saying in this phrase. I must decrease so that he might increase. It means that when I am willing to let myself decrease and open my hands to my life and stop trying to hold on to my life so tightly, God can increase in me and he makes me new. And all the things that I long for, whether those desires are wrong or right, God can steer them in the right way. He can make them as they should be. Paul has this beautiful phrase in the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul. Paul says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, if anybody left prints on the world in some way, I would say the Apostle Paul was one of those people. But he did it by decreasing in himself and allowing God to increase in him. You see, to decrease does not mean that we don't matter. It means that God is going to remake us as we should be. And this season of Advent and preparing for the coming of Christ is a time in which we are called to decrease in ourselves so that God might increase in our lives and make us who we are truly called to be as his people. If we try to live unto ourselves, we will always live a life that is in amiss in some way, that is lost and meandering. We will try to find ourselves, but we won't be able to. We'll always be searching, but never finding. But when we decrease and allow God to increase in our, us, we find our true selves. He tells us who we are. And he creates us anew. So the last thing that I want to do is to talk with you about how it is that God is to increase in our lives and we are to decrease. How does this happen on a day-to-day -day basis that God increases in us and we decrease? 
that he becomes more important and we become less important. How does this happen in your daily practices? I want to offer to you a couple of practices that I want to ask you to even think about this very, just this week, to think about these. This week, and especially the end of the week, is going to get a little bit crazy for some people, isn't it? And I want to ask you to think about these practices as a way of keeping yourself sane and also of making sure that it is not you who's increasing, but the Lord Jesus himself. The first practice is from what John says in the gospel. The second practice will be from Thessalonians. John says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom and the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Now, this image of standing near the bridegroom and listening to his voice, you need to dwell on it for a little while. It's a really important image that is echoing Genesis. It's a contrast to what Adam and Eve do. Adam and Eve stand near the serpent, listen to his voice, and they go away in shame and in hiding. John instead is standing near the bridegroom's voice, listening, hearing it, and he is rejoicing. This is something I talk about a lot, and I'm going to keep talking about a lot. One of the most important things you need to do with your life is make sure that you are hearing the word of God on a daily basis. That you are standing near the bridegroom and you are listening to his voice. His words are life. They're the words of God himself that he has given to us. And he's given them to you so that you might receive life and he might increase in you. And your own broken sinful ways might decrease. Are you listening to the bridegroom's voice regularly on a daily basis? This is not, this is not legalism. Every day, whether you feel it or not, you need to sit with Jesus himself and you need to listen to his voice and his word. You need to sit quietly and listen. One of the things I love are well-worded quotes I just love a well-turned phrase. And this week, my quote of the week is from St. Augustine that I want to share with you. He's talking about this passage and he says, My being consists in listening, his in speaking. For I need enlightening, he is the light. I am an ear, he is the word. I need enlightening and he is the light. I am an ear. He is the word. Are you becoming an ear for God's voice to speak into? To receive his voice? You need enlightening every day of your life. And it doesn't come from just an aura around you. It comes from God himself and from his spirit who enlivens his word to speak directly to you. Are you listening? 
This is a practice that I want to encourage you to maintain through this week and leading through the Christmas season. Will you listen to his voice? Now, lastly, another practice is from our passage in 1 Thessalonians 5. By the way, every time I hear a Pauline passage like this, I'm, I wonder, how did preachers ever get into the habit of preaching three points when they're preaching out of Paul's passages? He has 20 points in these 12 verses or so. <laughs> You should listen, you should go home and you should read this passage that we've heard this morning. There is so much goodness in it. The place I want to challenge all of us, this first practical thing is a posture toward God, to go to Him, to listen to Him. The second thing I want to challenge you in, a practice for this week, is a posture toward others. How can you seek peace with people this week? Are there people in your life that you need to humble yourself before and seek peace with them? Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12. He says to, re to respect those who labor among you. By the way, I want to make sure you know I don't choose the passages every Sunday. Um, this is from the lectionary. But it, it, Paul says to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Who can you seek peace with? Who can you seek to do good toward this next week? And especially think of people with whom you've been in conflict Think of people in your family. May, they may not deserve it, but will you still seek peace and goodness toward them and love? We must decrease. He must increase. He is the king. We are his servants. Will you seek ways for him to increase in your life this week? To crush envy in the pursuit of some other life, but to pursue the life that he wants to give you in himself. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.